this is Don Bluth, and you're listening to the Animation Addicts Podcast with the Rotoscopers. You're listening to the Animation Addicts Podcast with the Rotoscopers, episode 71, The Land Before Time, and the Fellowship of the Tree Star. This episode is brought to you by Amazon. Amazon has become the everything store, and that includes all sequels and merchandise to The Land Before Time. But seriously, Amazon is my go-to place to buy just about everything and a great way to support the Rotoscopers. Everything you buy on rotoscopers.com slash Amazon, a small portion will go to help bring you more episodes of your favorite podcast. Every little bit helps. So bookmark it and use it. rotoscopers.com slash Amazon. Welcome to the Animation Addicts Podcast with the Rotoscopers, Disney, DreamWorks, Pixar, Don Bluth, and everything in between. We're your hosts, Morgan Stradling, Chelsea Robson, and Mason Smith. Woohoo! All right. Let's hold on together forever. Oh, let's. Because <laughs> I know let's. our dreams will never <laughs> die. <laughs> oh, man. For... I've been humming that song all day. I love how that theme, well, I mean, we'll talk about it, but it's like a concurring theme in the movie. Like every 15 minutes or so, you you get the, if we hold on forever, and it starts bringing tears. It's really sad. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm not going to lie. The credit song for this movie uh, made me cry when I was a little kid. As it, totally it should. It shows, it's just sweet and tender. Mm-hmm. Don Bluth really knows how to do that. So for those of you who are new to our show, the Animation Addicts podcast is a podcast about animated films. Past and present, it's up to you. And we have just started our Dinos and Dragons series. So we are going to be reviewing animated films that have dinosaurs in them or they have dragons and or both. Uh, I don't know if we found one that has both, but that would be cool. But our very first episode that we are going to do in this series is Don Bluth's The Land Before Time. So today we are talking about the 1988 film, The Land Before Time, and it's about five young dinos that are separated from their families and the earth is all changing around them and they must brave the elements and fight a T-Rex, of course, in order to find their way to the, quote, Great Valley. And that's where they hope they're also going to be able to find their loved ones. And I really wanted to find a really cool trailer to like put in right here uh but there it was really hard to find one because every time i tried it would always be like land before time 27 trailer for land before time 5 and it was just really hard and then even when i did find the good ones they weren't all that great so i was thinking that we could do a little bit of a of a fan help with these types of things because we really like to add trailers to our reviews and so i want you guys to go out and go to the website where it says all of the next upcoming movies that we're going to be doing and to tweet me what your favorite fan-made trailer or just normal trailer is for that movie because i really like finding good ones and i find it really hard sometimes so i love help yeah trailers and you will get it chelsea Trust yes. me, you will get it. So. I know. 
No, oh, I love awesome fans. I love the trailers for like the old animated films because especially if you grew up watching the VHS of certain movies, those trailers are just as iconic as the movie itself because you either had to watch them or you fast forwarded them. But yeah, there are some there are actually some. OK, since we're talking about the VHS tape, I'm just going to jump to the gun. The Pizza Hut birthday party commercial. <laughs> yes, what? I am. No, guys, I remember this. Chelsea remembers this. I remember Mason. This. Yeah, I watched it yesterday. It was the second time in my life I'd watched it. Oh, oh I totally just... can't relate. Oh, oh my. this I because I watched The Land Before Time all the time growing up. This is one of my favorite, favorite movies. And so this Pizza Hut trailer, which I'll put in the show notes, is just very iconic. It's about this little boy and he's going to a birthday party at Pizza Hut, which I didn't know they did those, but apparently they did. And, you know, he's his mom's telling him to be nice to girls and keep your elbows off the table, all this stuff. And it's just, I don't know, just the fact that I watched it on repeat growing up is is very, very iconic to me. Yeah. Be nice to girls. Yeah. And like, we've also been talking about the last couple episodes, how you know, the Mike, the McDonald's toys that they would always have. Well, like, apparently Don Bluth didn't, wasn't able to get in with the McDonald's theme at the moment, but Pizza Hut picked them quite right up. And so they had these puppets that you could, you would get for getting the pe- the children's meal at Pizza Hut. And I totally remember watching that specific commercial and being like i really want those puppets mom i've never been to eat inside at pizza hut but i really want to just to get the puppets (laughs) so their marketing (laughs) totally worked i i can't remember if i had those or not like i looking at them at the pictures it's just these little like hand puppets of the five main characters i i look at those and i think i had those or i knew someone that had those but yeah, I, I love it. You couldn't get into McDonald's. So what's the next best thing? I know. Pizza Hut. <laughs> Woohoo. Okay, so 1988, this was the year of my birth. Just some specs on the film. It says in the opening credits, Spielberg or Lucas slash Spielberg. That's because it was um, it was originally Sullivan Bluth Studios and then it, it got moved to Ireland and then uh, it was uh, Steven Spielberg and George Lucas who was producing it. And it, I don't know, it... it kind of went all over the place and i got confused um it was a success though 48 million i said that right right i mean the last don blue i mean the oh, rocket doodle that's a domestically <laughs> yeah domestically 48 million is what it grossed and uh budget was a little over 12 million estimated so Can it was a success that? oh yeah an animated film with a budget of 12 million there's a few like indie films that still have that today but back then, that was a that wasn't that wasn't too shabby, you no, know. Yeah. But still, this was very very successful. Oh yeah. It did even better than American Tale. Yeah, and actually, uh, Oliver and Company came out the same year, and uh, Land Before Time actually did did better its opening week than Oliver and Company. Oliver Company. I'm talking about Oliver Company, the the Disney film. Right. Mm-hmm. So it was like Don Bluth like totally beat Disney. Yeah. A, a, a Disney film once. No, several. <laughs> it was because several. Well, yeah, those first three right there. Uh, he really like American Tale and Land Before Time. These were his biggest ones, and it was right after that in 1989 that The Little Mermaid came out, and so it was like, ouch. But for that time period, he was king, and that's why if you watch the movie Waking Sleeping Beauty, they talk about how. You know, one, it was just such a big thing that he went away, but then also the fact that he was killing them. 
because he was just making these better films and more sought after films. Yeah, it's kind of weird. So I remember having the VHS, but I never watched it. Uh, I think I watched it once when I was like six. So what was y'all's experience with the movie as kids? I was the Land Before Time fangirl. I loved this movie. This was one that, like I said, the fact that I remember that pizza commercial so much signifies that I watched this movie a lot. I This was probably one of my favorites. It was always on repeat at my house. I had a Littlefoot um, stuffed animal. It was probably about like two feet tall. Like it was pretty big. And I love that thing. I still have it. And it's in my closet at my parents' house. And I should probably get it out. I should have gotten out so I could squeeze it during this episode. But I, to <laughs> me, this movie is the epitome of childhood nostalgia. Like everything about it to me is, is just means a lot. Oh, yeah. No. Okay. This was the movie that I watched this so, so much as a kid. And I, I, I would rewind the ending credits over and over and over again just so I could learn the words to the final song and if we could hold on together and it was just like oh I would sing it with gusto it was fantastic and yeah I just I loved this movie so much and then later on I'm like graduated from high school and I'm visiting my sister who lives far away from me and I'm like "Ooh, you have land before time I'm gonna watch it she just <laughs> looks at me just like how old are you I'm like shut up I'm gonna watch it anyway <laughs> I get you Chelsea I, know. I get you and I totally watched it and I totally cried and just like I got misty eyed this time it's just it is just like morgan one of those movies that has such a soft spot in my heart that's like oh little for ducky it's great i'm surprised mason that this wasn't a bigger movie for you considering you're a guy and usually guys were all into the dinosaur thing you know you love jurassic park so much oh yeah yeah i'm jurassic park fanboy till death um i think I don't know what it was. I guess Jurassic Park came out in like, what, 95? So I was about seven or eight. Um, I don't know. When I watched Jurassic Park, I kind of stopped watching other dinosaur films because that's like the ultimate one. But <laughs> well, yeah. we're also a little bit older than you. So yeah, by true. the time this one came out, right. the those other movies weren't out yet. And we were probably, what, like yeah. two or three? Mm-hmm. And you were still... Yeah. No, no, yeah, we were probably like three or four. And you were probably still like, wah, wah. No, I was no, just a little. This... I was just a little foot. <laughs> yeah george lucas and spielberg i like how they used to do like well of course this is back in like the universal amblimation days when was the last time george lucas and steven spielberg like collaborated on a project indiana jones 4 Ew. Do, not, <laughs> do not speak of it um yeah i guess so but i i really kind of miss these like steven spielberg and animation and george lucas and animation days i mean i guess lucasfilm is still doing animation and stuff but i don't know i just thought it was like a really cool era and i would have loved to to be a crew on a show that had them as executive producers mm-hmm. and like they a producer were... like with producers you never know like what kind of input they really have in in the film or like what kind of influence but it still would have been interesting they originally wanted it to be like a silent film right like no dialogue yeah, yeah. originally this movie was going to be sort of um like the rite of spring from fantasia which is the really long, I'm talking like 30 minute plus um, dinosaur segment, which uh, I will, yeah, we'll talk about Fantasia another day. I just tried to watch it with people and they had never seen it before and they didn't get it. And I was like, (laughs) how can you not get Fantasia? Anyways, they wanted this to be similar, 
where the dinosaurs wouldn't talk and it would just be a little bit more adult, but you know, they got pushed back. And so they, they added voices to make it more appealing to kids. And to me, this sounds exactly how walking with dinosaurs, that movie that just came out last year started. Originally oh, yeah. that, that wasn't supposed to have talking dinosaurs, but uh, some producer somewhere, you know, so you got to add it for the kids. And you know, it, the movie suffered as a result. Fortunately, this movie doesn't, suffer because of the dialogue it would it would have been a completely different movie had they excluded the dialogue i'm not quite sure how they would have like some some of the dialogue and the the quotes and just the philosophy that they go about i'm not sure how you could explain that without words <laughs> yeah you couldn't um, it's but... not a philosophy it's like a full-blown dino religion in this movie <laughs> <laughs> and there's a few of his regular voice actors and actresses in it except dom de Dom DeLuise was filming, doing voice work for another film during Land Before Time. Do you know which one it is? Traitor. What? It was. Oh, yeah, he, yeah, he is. Was. Yeah. Wasn't he doing it for Oliver and Company? No. Yep. Yep. I bet he feels silly now. Wah, wah. If Dom but DeLuise I... had been in this movie, what character do you think he would have been? Oh, he might have been Spike. Petrie. Petrie. Spike. <laughs> Petrie. Petrie sounds... Petrie sounds like the most Dom DeLuise-ish character. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm really glad that didn't happen. Honestly, I think the, the voice actors made it better. I mean, you have, of course, Judith Barcy, who is just the sweetest thing. And then, um, I don't know, I just, I liked him. I, I liked the story. I liked how it was just a very sweet tale of these friends. Holding on together. <laughs> yes. Speaking of the music, I, I always remember the music. Like, it had, like, a good kind of, like, like orchestra. What do you call that? When it's not the music with the lyrics, it's, uh, like, the orchestra. The score. Gosh. Yeah, the score. I love like, the score. It was weird because I was getting, like, flashbacks of when I originally saw it. I was, like, remembering how the little musical cues were going. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And as I'm watching it, too, it's the same thing. Like, what, like little things happen. I'm like, oh, I so remember that. And that's such a great thing is when you're able to listen to a score and, like, remember moments or even remember parts of the score. Like, I've, I've noticed this as late. You know, you're listening to things and it just kind of sounds like everything else. But this one has its own feel and it was really good. Yeah, I like when the scores have their own cue and notes that, that add to maybe, like, the elements of action that are going on. Um, and they have their own little melodies yeah. that that are distinctive from the movie. And I I agree with you. Recently, I've been listening to some scores, and I'm like, there is nothing that stands out from this to make me care. Um, but this movie, yeah, from the very beginning, I could just you know when they're in the water and there's a little that little whatever thing is floating around, and then the score plays. What is like, that? Thing? I know every single thing musically that's going to happen from here on out. <laughs> yeah, totally. And speaking of how the film feels. Dude, the feels of this movie. I think the Land Before Time one, I, I don't know about the 12 sequels. I think the first one goes down in animation history as one of the saddest films like ever. Oh, it's so like, right there. Like Grave of the Fireflies ain't got nothing on this. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. There might be a close tie between the two. Here's the thing. But, uh, but Dom, that was that was my general feeling. Yeah, no, Don Bluth knows how to make you cry. And that's one of his things. One, remember way back when, when I told my story about how my family went to his, the Don Bluth's 
theater and mm-hmm. afterward we kind of sat around and talked with him well that was one of the things he, like he started out and he started talking about how one of his earliest memories was watching Bambi and as he's watching Bambi you know he just he's and then he as he's telling us the story he becomes the like the storyteller type and he just like just draws you in and it's like oh Don you're amazing <laughs> but he tells a story about how you know and then Bambi when you know the mom dies and then everything that moment of when the the most vulnerable a child can be is without their parents and when you're alone and that was one of the biggest themes of this film is it's it's almost like his bambi yeah totally and lucas and spielberg wanted to do something like bambi or or maybe it was don bluth and when they were doing initial concepts and ideas for the film they wanted it to kind of be like bambi with dinosaurs and a lot of the test audiences uh, thought the same way and so, yeah, that's kind of a cool, cool connection there with Land Before Time. It's a perfect way to and describe this film. I never would have described it like that before, Bambi with dinosaurs, but it is Bambi with dinosaurs. It totally is. Except there were no hunters back then. That would have been cool. I am Turok. But anyway, it, it deals with that like 90s, 80s theme of like runaway children, you know, <laughs> like all, all the there are a ton of films that dealt with yeah. that. Like there's like. The the journey home and no, a homeward bound. That was the movie. Remember that movie? Yes, which was I watched that one all the time. Which was basically Land Before Time, except house pets and real life. You know that poor, that poor kitty. I and know. Dang porcupine! That well, stupid we, stupid porcupine. Can we talk about the theme in animated films of dead mothers? Yes, mothers are dead all over the place in animation. <laughs> This one was particularly sad because we like get to watch Littlefoot's mother die in front of us, mm-hmm. in front of him. And he spends like a good like good chunk of the movie just like wandering around looking for her and in denial and in all the stages of guilt and yee yee. <laughs> it's true. But it's- uh, it was all over the place in, in, in that time period. Still is. Yeah, I think of other dead mothers. I think of Cinderella, her mom dies. Obviously, Bambi, his mom dies. Finding Nemo, the mother and family basically die. Where's Um, Belle's mom? Belle's mom is gone. Pocahontas' mom is gone. Um, Snow White, she has a stepmom, meaning her real mom probably died. Uh, Aladdin doesn't have any parents. (laughs) I mean, doesn't doesn't Aurora, Aurora has a mom in Sleeping Beauty, but you like never see her. Well, yeah, they're there. Yeah, they're there. I just remember that one of our very first YouTube videos when we were talking about Frozen, we were just like, how do we, we didn't even know what Frozen was going to be like, really. But we're like, they're probably going to kill the parents. They probably just die. Did we really call that? We totally did. (laughs) (laughs) We totally did. And I was like, how do we add more angst to this? Let's kill the parents. Like, that's Mm -hmm. all, that's how they do it. And it's true, though. I mean, it works every time. But at the same time, I don't know. I feel like there's, there's got to be a way to bring out that vulnerability without killing the parents. <laughs> <laughs> There's actually a really good article that just got posted. Um, it's by someone named Sarah Boxer, and it's called Why Are All the Cartoon Mothers Dead? I'm going to include a link to it in the show notes so you can read it. It's just pretty interesting about the psychology behind losing your mom and how it plays huh. in animated films. Yeah, I'd really like to read that, actually. <laughs> Okay, so let's talk about the like the animation and the production of the movie for a second. I think the animation in Land Before Time is really good, like this first one at least. Mason, whenever we refer to Land Before Time, we are only referring to the first one. Yeah. We ignore <laughs> all sequels. All sequels do not exist. They are not canon. They were they were not even penned uh, by course. Don Bluth. So yes, just 
They don't exist. They never happened. <laughs> Ten four chief. Yeah, I I second that. Uh, I did read the synopses of all twelve follow up movies to the Land Before Time just so I knew what we what what happens in them and yikes. But yeah, there, there, <laughs> That's all there he are says. there are some. There, I mean, there are some parts. It's just there's nothing quite as epic as this first one. Of course but not. Yeah. Don Bluth had nothing to do with any of the other ones, and he'll tell you right up front. We did not do those. Yeah, that's true. That's true. So I've always admired like Don's like studio and how like different their animation is, unless it's Rockadoodle. But they did manage to pull off like one thing I love about Don Bluth is that they managed to pull off like stunning effects. There's like water and bubbles and there's tar at one part and eggshell fragments and lava, I think, and and rain. Mud. Yeah, yeah. mud. Uh, general uh, gen- generic sparkling. You know, he you got that, that that Don Pluth uh, uh, dazzle. <laughs> the Don Pluth dazzle. <laughs> the dazzle. You know what I'm talking about? I that totally know. Yeah. Stuff that's in all that he trademarked in all his movies. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's all. That's all hand drawn, and it's 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 amazing. Yeah. On on such a budget, you know, for one, and and um, so cool, so cool. And then uh, the animation itself is is excellent. Like I would say that the animation in this movie is better than some Disney films, just because they. They took their time to to really give these characters life. And uh, I, it also brings me back to one of the 12 uh, principles of animation, which is exaggeration. I'm going to do like a, a post where it shows all the shots where Littlefoot's mouth is like gaping wide, wide, wide open. <laughs> like when he yawns, when he's born and when he's like screaming at shark tooth, you know, shark yeah. tooth. Sorry. Um, I used they, to call it shark tooth. Too. I always did. I didn't <laughs> realize that it was co- was sharp. Tooth. Well, I, I knew a sharp recently. tooth. I, I call it shark tooth because I'm reading the show notes about you call oh. it shark tooth. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah. got you. But they they really articulate uh, the like the movement and the dialogue and um, lots of fun like secondary action and and overlapping action. You know, a bunch of you know follow through with the characters. But the exaggeration itself is really good. Like you could even turn like I bet lip sync readers could like put this film on mute. And understand what the characters are saying because when they talk, like their mouths just like like you can really tell that they, they really did a good job. It's not like they drew like oh here's a mouth in the corner of his face and it's just kind of a two D cartoon mouth and it's moving up and down and and that's him speaking, you know. And also they did really good like like with the solid drawings, I guess. The animators really knew how to draw like Littlefoot from like all angles, and um, it was cool how they got like all the baby language into a dinosaur, like. <laughs> But anyway, I, I love the first sequence when you're when you're looking at all those beautiful like hand drawn bubbles and you're you know you're underwater. But that what what's with the weird swimming thing? I don't know. But it, uh, <laughs> why is he staring at us? All I could think of when I saw this was like, ah, Don did it first. I mean, the whole bubble opening it just total Little Mermaid. And I'm like, go Don, you did it first, man. Well, it, this is like a Little Mermaid type opening where we're introduced to the world before we're introduced to the world, if that makes sense. Like we just get yeah. hints and here we get hints of bubbles. Okay, what's going on with the bubbles? Then we get some, you know, algae that's floating around. Then we get the weird swimming dude who's staring at you and then it grows into, you know, actual dinosaurs. And it's just really cool how you slowly are introduced to the world and what's happening. I think it's a great opening. And then everything is so dark in the beginning. Like it's like, oh, turn on the light. Don Bluth, you know, but it is his trademark. Like he he tends to like control light in a way to where everything's very, very baroque, like very like dark, I guess. Yeah. 
that's definitely something that stands out in these films of his from the 80s. In the 90s, he lightened up the color palette a little bit, which might have been just because he was forced to. He wasn't able to be as artistic and yeah. cinematic. But these movies in the 80s are just spot on. It's just They feel so different than anything else, which I think is what drew me to them as I was younger is because I was able to sense something different that I liked. Yeah. I'm not saying I didn't like the other stuff, but it's like it kind of gets old when you're watching everything the same thing. You're interested when it's something different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, groovy, groovy. Can't wait till we do Secret of Nim. But anyway. Nim, Nim, Nim. Land Before Time, come on. <laughs> yeah, Land Before Time and Sharptooth. So we mentioned him, and uh, there's a lot of like funky like nicknames that they give in the movie. Yeah, I really they like that. They create an interesting anthology about. Um, just the colloquial names that they use for certain things. I mean, there's the s- tree stars, the bright circle, sharp teeth, uh, swimmers, uh, long neck. The flyers. The flyers. Yeah, there's so many. And it's just interesting because we have our own words for all of these different things. Like, oh, a tree star is a leaf. A leaf. Okay. But it yeah, just, yeah, we it, call that a maple leaf. <laughs> I just like how it it creates its own little universe within the universe by using different terminology, which is really cool and makes it unique. Yeah, the movie has its own lore, you could say. Yeah. Well, and I thought that was really cool about how the very first thing, it's like Westward Ho. It's like Manifest Destiny in its primal form. Everyone's just kind of moving. I really like the sense of everyone is moving. Yeah. Well, it, it sets up kind of a dismal outlook of the dinosaur world like the world is kind of like changing like it's kind of the fall of the dinosaurs i mean there's a lot of like earthquakes and uh you know famine and drought and you know all the dinosaurs are migrating so it's kind of like this weird like end of the world type situation that kind of gets overshadowed because there's all the dino drama but it, it is kind of like a dark little dismal environment yeah it's interesting that well, a lot of movies are like this. You, a lot of times you they show the characters in prosperity and then they kind of fall and, you know, the hero's journey and then they have to climb back up. But other movies start having the characters in adversity where life isn't easy and they struggle and they have to get out of it. And this is definitely one of those. It's He's born into a world that is struggling and dying and he has to figure out how to make it work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Also, Littlefoot was dropped as a baby. <laughs> Oh, come on. Oh. He was dropped as a baby. <laughs> but it was so cute when he hatched. It really oh my was. Gosh. And he like Dawn. looks up behind you. Donnie. Oh man. So cute. It's like a dang diaper commercial. <laughs> In another life, Don Bluth, he uh, was a Kmart baby photographer, much like <laughs> Goofy. What <laughs> do your thumb goof? There's Smiley Wiley. <laughs> Like how That's how we know he knows how to capture that that innocence because he did it for so long. It's, it's got to be. Yeah, we'll have to ask him next time you see him, you know, when you're hanging out. <laughs> right. So Littlefoot just has his mother and she's like the center of his world. And then the grandparents. I always liked the grandparents. They didn't really do anything except like nod knowingly or chuckle. Yeah, but there was still a, an essence of family. He couldn't take away everything. He had to have some type of a goal to get to when he lost everything. I like the look of the dinosaurs. The older dinosaurs are very realistic where they're not really cartoony like some of the younger kids. Um, but especially the grandparents. I love how old and wrinkly they look compared to the mom. The mom still looks like when you see her voice come out, you're like, whoa. Um, just interesting casting on the the mother's voice is sweet and peaceful and calm. And like whenever I hear it, I'm like, oh, 
And then I think of what's coming to be oh. and not good. Well, and even later on when he's like hearing her voice throughout his, his life, you know, throughout this journey, it's a very comforting and you just want it next to you. Very good voice acting. Yeah, totally. Well, one thing that I was, I thought was really funny was just like, it said, it's like their last hope of the future. I don't like, really? That's, if that's your last hope, I really hope that you're actually going to be finding some more long necks along the way. And I, that's what was kind of weird. I was like, where is the dad? Where is like cousin Jeff? <laughs> I don't know. Like, where are the other long necks? And I was like, I don't understand. But they hmm. do mention like, There'll be many long legs for you to play for or play with. I'm like, how do you know? Yeah, that opens up a lot of discussions. Well, I like I said, I did read up on the sequels, all 12 of them. Uh, and Littlefoot's father is revealed eventually. Really? I think it's a number. Yeah, it's a number 10. Oh his my. name is his name is Baron. B-R-E-O-N. They don't yeah. count. They don't count. <laughs> These are not real. Okay, let's just say hypothetically, there's this guy named Braun who <laughs> okay, was okay. his father. I like where this is going. <laughs> and uh, the story goes that he was, uh, during the hatching period, he went off to find a new place to stay, to like scout a new location. And then Littlefoot hatched, um, then Sharptooth attacked, and then the earthquake happened. Golly, Littlefoot being born kind of jinxed everyone. You know, maybe he wasn't meant to survive. Anyway, um, and then the, before Littlefoot's father can get back, the earthquake separated him from everyone, so he he just kind of had to go off on his own. Hmm. And uh, eventually he caught up with Littlefoot, but Littlefoot doesn't really stay with him. It was like a weird thing. Anyway, but yeah, that and then um, I, I can't say the same for Cousin Jeff, Chelsea. I haven't <laughs> found him in the, uh, in the synopses for the sequels. But uh, I'll, I'll I'll do some digging. Thank you. Please but, do. But it bring you bring up this thing where it's like, how does the like the mom? Ha okay, for one, you've got this like weird dino religion where it's like the Great <laughs> Valley, and we all know what that is. And uh, you know, you just gotta believe. It's in your heart. How do we know this maple leaf, which we worship? You know. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I just think the the lore is okay. I, I make fun of it, but I do appreciate this movie because it is. It's a very spiritual movie. Yeah. Because the Great Valley could be lots of things. Such I, as? I saw it as, like, this is a goal, any goal, any hope in the future, really. Yeah, totally. And then uh, the Maple Leaf is, like, your your guiding star, mm -hmm. you know? Um, but, yeah, how did so she it, find it, out about this? And how did she know, like, past this? How did she know all the road signs? That was my question. What if it's like a back and forth thing? Like she's been there before. No, she yeah. hasn't. She, she had hasn't that been there. But other people may have gone there and come back. I don't want yeah. to understand why this is such a hard thing to. Maybe. I mean, there are flyers yeah. maybe, who could fly the there pretty quickly. That's true. Yeah. Oh, you're right. Okay. <laughs> Thanks for bringing us back down, back to ground level, Morgan. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm like the crab in the bucket. You know, I don't want. If I can't get out, no one's getting out. <laughs> uh, if you say so. Yeah, I heard that. What is that? I've heard it. I've heard West it. Coast yeah. thing. I don't no, know. It's, I don't a know. it's, like a, it's like a church analogy. It's like it's the, so if you <laughs> I've never put, brought a live crab to a okay, this, there's an analogy that like, well, this actually happens if you are hunting crabs and you stick them in a bucket, you don't have to put a lid or anything on it on the top, because if you have more than one crab, they will prevent each other from climbing out. So if one crab like gets up there and he's almost pulling himself out, all the other crabs will pull the crab down because they're just selfish that way. 
And so the analogy kind of goes, you know, don't don't surround yourself by other crabs like that. Like don't others let others bring you down and prevent you from reaching your goals. So it's the crab in the bucket. And apparently that's me. No, huh, no, no. We were weird. in the same class, so we totally know this. <laughs> yes, yes. I've never heard that before. Oh, now you know. Here in Texas, we're usually just like, here, you're trying to break all these here popsicle sticks at once. See, can't do it. <laughs> what do we learn about quorums now? <laughs> yep. All right, back to can't, the movie. Can't do it. Yeah. Okay, so uh, Faith, Hope, and Glory, to quote the the title, the, the song Faith, of this film. Faith, Hope, and Glory. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> okay, on IMDb, it says that a director trademark of Don Bluth's is objects and i'm like um there's lots of movies with objects there's, there's lots of directors that use objects i don't know what you're talking about imdb but i think what they're meaning is that a character has like a token thing that they keep with them that's like a game changer you know like mm-hmm. um all dogs go to heaven he has the pocket watch yeah yep. uh, uh anastasia, anastasia has, she has anastasia. yeah she has a uh, um the thing the music box yeah. Well, no, she has the necklace. That Once goes upon the... a December. Yeah. The locket, right. She has that too. So uh, I guess that makes sense. It's like the, it's like his token, his like item. Something and, borrowed, uh, something blue. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I like the tree star because it's it's very comforting to him. It's one of the, I think it's funny because the mom, this tree star appears when she's alive and she's like, look, you know, this is great. There'll be so many of these in the Great Valley. And she gives it to him to sort of be like, here, eat this. This is all you're going to get for a while. And he keeps it as sort of a, a keepsake and puts it on his back. And and it becomes when she's gone, it becomes that much more important because it was something tangible that she had given him. Mm-hmm. And she's not here anymore physically. So any sort of physical remnant of her is comforting and it is like a blanket almost kind of the way he like keeps it on his back and he rolls it up like a scroll and puts it on his head it's funny yeah and he like he like sniffs it and it like floats in the air you know (laughs) yeah pretty good playing with it that's cute that's cute that's cute you know before his whole world crashes down on him littlefoot meets sarah right he doesn't really meet any other dinosaurs that are like in the film but he does meet sarah yeah sarah's the only person that he meets before the tragedy or the great earthquake and uh, she's yeah. not very nice. You know, Sarah originally was a boy character. Yeah. Which is pretty interesting because I think she works so much better as a girl. Mm-hmm. Um, apparently one of the, you know, the head honchos, they came in and they said, no, 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 you got to make this a girl. And to me, she's kind of one of the earliest examples of like a, a girl bully. Usually mm. girls are portrayed very positively, especially in animated features before this. They're they're girly girls or they're sweet and they're cute. But she was the one who who was really mean. And she has to learn a lot of lessons because she's kind of so defensive and mean and prideful. Um, and I think she's a great character because she's really stubborn. Yeah. She reminds me of Angelica on the Rugrats. Mm-hmm. Kind of that that kind of thing. Little bossy pants. Well, apparently Triceratops are a very proud race because her dad, like, won't let them play together. I like how Littlefoot's mom's just fine with that. She's, like, totally fine with, like, nope, species must never play together, Littlefoot. I'm confused. Why? (laughs) Well, she's bought into it. I mean, that's just kind of the way of life. She's been pushed around by the Triceratops. So, yeah, yeah, we're we're not going to do this anymore. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Three horns never play with long necks. (laughs) <laughs> it's just yeah i mean it added a whole nother depth to the group dynamic when they all got together because there's automatically this animosity between her and everyone else but then you like follow that up with 
later on when you meet Ducky, who is like completely the opposite. So yeah. I liked finding all these dynamics. Yeah, and there's a lot of there's a lot of themes in this movie, and and one of them is segregation, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. that's very clear at the beginning. And they're they're able to overcome it to an extent. I mean, we don't know what happened after they reached the Great Valley, and and the parents were like, "Whoa, that's great that you made it here with them, but you're not you're not well, gonna hang out with them anymore." These kids, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, well mean, there, there is one of the sequel. I'll, I'll I'll just stop talking about the sequel, yeah, but no, there's stuff that happens with that. <laughs> It's they, worth reading up on. <laughs> they Not build. watching, just reading. <laughs> oh. Okay, yeah. so then there's two big catastrophes that happen. We're introduced to the Sharp Tooth, where Sharp Tooth attacks. Apparently, there is only one in this whole movie, and he holds a grudge, and he's always going after these kids. Oh my um, gosh, so it's he, like a serial killer. Mm-hmm. So he goes, and I love the scene where Sarah and Littlefoot are playing with the frog. It's not very consequential, but it just having watched this so many times to me when I saw that scene, I was like, oh, I love that scene. Uh, And then it gets quickly broken up by Sharptooth. And I like another like iconic scene to me is where he's sniffing through that pokey patch mm-hmm. and just like his nose. Yeah, me, like, that he, was like, a pushes scene. it down Ugh, like scary, around scary. them. I totally remember that. Luckily, they escape the tragedy there, but immediately there's an earthquake. Oh. Well, don't forget that. Don't forget that. Uh, the tragedy where uh, his mom comes in to save him. Aww. So we forgot to mention this. The movie is 69 mil- uh, minutes long, so it's a very short animated film. So already like watching- our podcast is now longer than this movie. <laughs> Bizarre. Oh, yeah. As of now, it is. Wow. So there was like 10 minutes of footage that was cut from the film and and that apparently was like very scary stuff and very violent stuff i can see don bluth in the studio now saying like yeah they're not gonna cut 10 whole minutes yeah make a lot of blood right there a lot a lot of blood like just kind of squirting out of that wound i'm just i'm sure that's not how it went but there were apparently some lost scenes that nobody has found there there's evidence where they could have been inserted in the film um there's a couple of uh, very thorough youtube uh, users who have made like analysis videos of where exactly the locations are of the deleted scenes where they would have been in the finished product. But yeah, uh, lots of like screaming kids. They had to like make the, the when the kids scream, they had to like soften the screams to not make them as scary. Like I think Spielberg and Lucas eventually were like, hey, uh, if we keep going like this, like we're going to have like parents complaining and like kids like crying coming out of the theater, like, you know, not for the sweet, tender hearted reason, but because T-Rex's reason. So there was some stuff that was cut and but you do, depending on which version you see, there are some like pretty visceral scenes of the T-Rex like chomping down on Littlefoot's mother. I mean, hello, it's like pretty crazy. Yeah, I I remember when I was a kid. I'm actually kind of bummed that this got cut. It would have been really interesting. I mean, yeah, maybe it would have scared you as a kid, whatever. You'll you'll get over it. (laughs) It made it so much cooler of a movie. It it would have been like straight up Watership Down or something like that. Can I, will you entertain a Mason theory? I really think that Littlefoot is a jinx. I think he's cursed. First sharp tooth and then an earthquake that just happens to to separate everyone. No, this was all happening around them. They were already moving. No, it's a late Cretaceous, I suppose. <laughs> Times are a change and ain't like that Triassic period. <laughs> Here's, that was one of the, the things that people always talk about is how you look in the different animals or I'm sorry, dinosaurs that they put in this. Some of them were supposed to be in different eras than others. Like they do that all the time. But I was like, meh, give it up, people. 
What, you mean there are people who are actually criticizing this film for not being historically accurate? Yes. <laughs> oh, brother. Like, I can understand being concerned over uh, the thematic elements of All Dogs Go to Heaven, but the historical accuracy of The Land Before Time, <laughs> that's that's not a very strong debate that I'd like to get into. Yeah, there's people there who are arguing that there's five, at the time of this movie, five of the species shown in the film we're already extinct. It's like, oh gosh, come on. Wow. The people who write <laughs> stuff like that are like the same people who enjoy watching kids trip and fall. I guarantee you. <laughs> I guarantee you. Oh, anyway, man. so uh, scary and then super sad. Like, ugh. I remember seeing like the wounds on her back while she was like walking and then she's like slowly can't like move anymore. She's like, oh, this is horrible. She's like dying. And Littlefoot's just a kid. Mm, not uh, cool. I, I I cried when I saw this today when I was preparing. I oh, was man. really sad. I was really emotional. But I don't ever remember crying when I watched this when I was younger. And I think it was because I watched it on such like a daily basis that I kind of became <laughs> immune to the tragedy of the mother dying. It was just, yeah, the mom dies. Let's move on. But, you know, having <laughs> time on my side and watching it this time, I was actually pretty sad. And it's interesting because in this movie, we don't have as much time to connect with the mom as we do with Bambi and his mom. Like Bambi's mom doesn't die until you know, nearly halfway in, maybe even a little more. That's true. But this one, she dies within the first 10, 15 minutes. And it still was just as upsetting. Honestly, I thought this was more upsetting for me than Bambi was. Like, I remember watching Bambi as a kid, and Bambi, it was sad, but at the same time, like, I was just, eh, I just never warmed up to his mom. But I, I totally loved Littlefoot's mom. I just, I think the very beginning when it said that Littlefoot always knew that this was his family, and this is where they would always have love, and they would always be there for him. And oh, you're like, man. oh, man, you're just setting it up for tragedy right there. And But they did. They did a really <laughs> good job of making you want to feel safe and comforted in this you know almost um almost utopian relationship within a dysutopian world and then now they're just going to totally take everything from you so i was like uh it hurts mm, a utopia in dystopia well, well it the cut was originally like super heavy like i mean there's all sorts of scenes there's little foot like running after the shadow his own shadow and he thinks it's his mom gosh i can't even watch it and um, eventually they were like, hey, we need to insert a character to like alleviate all this like sorrow. So they kind of put in a uh, rooter this. I think he's an ankylosaurus, something like that, um, who's voiced by the by the by the narrator who kind of kind of helps helps teach him a lesson. And, you know, I you thought know. that was the weirdest character. Like, I remember thinking that's the same guy. Why is <laughs> why is he here? And why does he know the entire story? Because he made it to the Great Valley and then Littlefoot told him and now he's telling the story. <laughs> I didn't see him at the Great Valley. I, he well, didn't seem like he was in that big of a, of a rush. Otherwise, he would have been like, hey, kid, <laughs> jump on my train. Let's go to the Great Valley together. But no, he's like, nah, you'll be fine in time. <laughs> hey, he's a loner. Yeah, <laughs> he's like, I'm. He's like, I'm, he's like, man, I'm hungry. And Ruder's just like, well, I can't help you there. See ya. Life, <laughs> life lesson over. Right. That too you know, will change. I am fine with the narrator slash Ruder. Yeah, that time will change when you die. <laughs> the, okay, like I said, the film has its own lore, like its own, like, you know, thing. It's lore that needs to be explained. And do you not there, want there to be a narrator? Or were you like weirded out by the fact that Ruder was running around? 
I think it was the fact that he was the narrator, but then he didn't come in at the end or anything like that. Like that was his only spot, and yet he knows the whole story. And I'm thinking, is he some type of omnipresent character? I don't understand. But you know, to me, he could be like the minstrel rooster from Robin Hood. Oh, really? Hmm. Yeah, you know how how uh, the the minstrel's the narrator. Yeah, but he, he's he also a singer, for the rock. great singer. He was along for the ride. Like, Reuters just like, come in. All right, see ya. I mean, but honestly, I love the fact that they had a narrator in it because there are a lot of, like you were saying, there are a lot of these themes that you couldn't, in such a short period of time specifically, you and you couldn't, like, really explain these things to kids. And I just, there were a bunch of times where I would even think, okay, if I were a kid watching this, I could totally hear myself saying, so mom, why did that happen? Why, why did that happen? Why is he doing that? And your mom's like, drink your soda, be quiet. (laughs) Exactly. Like (laughs) you don't have to have me watching the movie and engaged in the movie to know what's how to like explain something. The narrator will do it for you. Thank you. But the narrator was a good part. And Reuter was a good part. It was just kind of, I just wish they would have like tied him in more. Anyway, that's my. I like, I liked Reuter. I think Reuter, you know, I, I had no problem that he was the narrator to me. It's like, yeah, he's the narrator. He, he made it, you know, I can connect dots. He made it to the Great Valley and figured out the story at some point in time. And actually cool enough, played a pretty cool part in it. But Ruder, I think, is really necessary because he gets really philosophical yeah. um, as he's talking yeah. to Littlefoot. You know, this was like pre-Lion King, and they're already talking about the circle of life. Yeah. Oh, and, yeah, he totally mentioned it. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, he's just really serious. And, and like we said, this is a more serious, more adult film, I guess. It has a lot more um, adult themes of that I think children's movies normally wouldn't go into. I like that Reuter, he wasn't just like, oh, cheer up, kid. You know, he really gets deep and philosophical with them, which is important. Yeah, yeah plus he's plus he's the only grown-up dinosaur in the movie who's not like a total jerkosaurus. <laughs> I like the parallel to Lion King, you know, Littlefoot's mother's like, Littlefoot, you have forgotten me. You have forgotten <laughs> who you are, so you have forgotten me. Anyway, yeah, so I, I do like that. It, it definitely alleviates, like, the heavy heaviness of the, the tragedy and kind of gets him going on, like, well, he kind of pitter-patters around, you know? I, I like the part where he's like, well, I, I don't like it because it's it's sad because Littlefoot is, like, starving to death. But but uh, even though that's sad, I, the family of Flyers is pretty adorable. You know, the mom who gets them all cha- berries, you know? So cute. And then the little guy's the little one comes up to him and shares it with him. And you, little Aww. guy. I know. And, and Littlefoot is just completely in despair still. And he not interested in food like even though he's starving he's not interested in food because of what happened well, he's, he's he's depressed mm-hmm. and he's probably just running on adrenaline like yeah. physiologically physiologically speaking i never but quite understood you... the time frame of this movie like how long were they traveling for and how long about an hour <laughs> 69 <laughs> hour, <six> minutes, minutes. <laughs> Yeah, I would love, and I, I bet most of our listeners would agree, I would love to have a tiny uh, little pterodactyl that can just fit in the palm of my hand and give me berries when I ask for them. And bite you. No. <laughs> He's cute. He would never bite. So then we start moving on. And as I'm watching this movie, I'm really captivated by the backgrounds. And just oh, the yeah. film, the scenery of this film is very interesting. Um, there's unique shapes. There's interesting colors. It's sort of pastel um, you know, just angles that I would never expect or imagine. Um, I think of the one where Sarah is 
trying to get leaves and she's hitting that tree and she's like kind of in like on a second level um, and Littlefoot is above her. And it's just like this camera angle that's up top looking down. It's just interesting. And I, mm-hmm. it's not your traditional like straight on like you would expect. It's just they really uh, they did a good job. They yeah. got creative. I, I love good cinematography in an animated film, but I also love creative cinematography in an animated film, you know, especially with 3D these days. I mean, you can put the camera anywhere, but in 2D, it it was all about getting these, uh, you know, planning your shots out, you know, in in storyboarding. And then you get a good layout artist who can do the proper perspective and you can achieve all kinds of really cool shots. Like if you go to the animation pavilion at Epcot Center, you can see the like stretched out layout background paintings where the camera like pans up. Oh, yeah. But I'm also talking about like uh, Hunchback of Notre Dame where the camera kind of changes perspective as it moves. Uh-huh. You can really see that changed perspective. And and that man, that stuff is like I, I don't want to say it's a lost art form, but man, no one does that anymore. It's just very beautiful. If I was to get an artifact from this film, like on eBay, I would like to get like a background painting. Oh, I would totally get the cell of when Littlefoot was born. That would be mine. See, Chelsea, for a bachelorette party, she took me to Don Bluth's theater. And he surprised me with a drawing. And Chelsea asked, he Ah, asked, okay, what's her favorite character? And she said Anastasia. But little did Chelsea know, it was (laughs) Littlefoot. I would have loved. I'm sorry. I failed. I failed as a best friend. I thought you liked liked Sarah better than Littlefoot. No. Oh, it's always been Littlefoot, but I'm, I love my Anastasia drawing. I need to actually frame it and put it up. But yeah, I mean, oh, exact that exact pose that Chelsea's talking about. Adorable. Yeah. All right. All right. Actually, just while we're at it, in case anybody wants to know if I were to ever get one, it would definitely <laughs> be <laughs> from any of his movies. It would I most- already know this. <laughs> it would be Goldie Pheasant, as she says. As, you know, you see a speech bubble in the background where she's like, well, you know, Goldie, you could always give up show business. And then she's like, oh, Pinky, <laughs> I want that shot right there. <laughs> Done. Well, uh, Done. We'll write that down and we'll send it off to Donnie. <laughs> <laughs> Just so you guys know, like we we really aren't like best friends with Don. Don't be thinking that we are like, hey, Don. Like what? we did meet we him, hang out like, with him a couple times, but we, we're not stalkers. <laughs> yet yeah actually yeah. can i can i plug something for don blue yeah do it so anyone who's in arizona and i might attend this on behalf of the podcast i don't know but they're doing a fundraiser and they're doing their first annual gala event so for those of you who don't know don bluth has a theater um that he used to run out of his home and now he runs it out of a theater in scottsdale arizona and it's a nonprofit, and it's just a really cool intimate theater it's called don bluth front row theater there's only about two rows of seats on every side so it's really up close and you get to see these plays. So he's doing a, a gala event and um, they want to raise $30,000 so they can keep their theater alive for the next season. Um, so tickets are $50 each. Um, if anyone's interested, I'll put a link in the show notes. And also there's going to be a silent auction. So they're going to have some, you know, Arizona sports memorabilia, which I'm like, meh. But then I I really hone in on this one where it says assorted Signed Don Bluth movie posters. Oh, yes. Like, ooh. <laughs> so I might attend in behalf of the podcast. Please do. And um, maybe, I'll, maybe I'll bid on some of this and we can snag one for our fans. So we shall see. Brilliant. Yeah, so Littlefoot keeps going on his journey and eventually bumps into enough uh, little, you know, baby dinosaurs to, to form a fellowship of the tree star. <laughs> and uh, as they head for the Great Valley, to throw it back in the tree from whence it came. But anyway... <laughs> 
here you go, Great Valley Tree. Take your tree star. <laughs> Cannot be chewed by any dinosaur we have. But anyway, um, uh, Sarah's like, fine then, let's get on with it. But anyway, um, we meet the other dinosaurs. There's, I think that there is a great little band that's assembled in the film. You've got Littlefoot, who's a natural leader. He find, he, we find out, you know, he's charismatic. He's got the hope, faith, and glory. And he has the tree star. And um, Sarah, who's very type A, uh, butts heads with, with Littlefoot, literally. And then you've got uh, Ducky, who's, who, like Chelsea said, is the exact opposite of Sarah. Uh, you know, very, very submissive, very innocent, very childlike, um, very cute. Very some of the accepting. best, Some of the best lines come from Ducky. Oh, yeah. Yep, 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 yep. Oh, no. Oh, no, no, no. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then uh, Spike, who doesn't really talk. And then there's uh, Petrie, who is, you know, is totally inept. He <laughs> needs a confidence booster. Flying hard. But anyway... I think I, I I think I'm more of a little foot. Yeah, when I was a kid, like with my my friends growing up, I was more of a little foot. What about you guys? Hmm. Oh, I was I, definitely. I know. Ducky. I I can tell you for you, Morgan. If you, if you can't tell. <laughs> I mean, I would say a Sarah in a way. <laughs> I'd like to think that I was a little foot, but but watching it, like I really related to Sarah when she's acting tough and cool and prideful. But then like really deep down, she's lonely and alone. And she's just trying to like, that's kind of her defense mechanism. And I'm not saying I was ever lonely or alone. Trust me, I was fine. Okay. But I don't know. I just really liked the depth that her character had. Mm-hmm. Um, not saying that I re- I don't know. I just, you know, she's kind of like the snotty just brat. It. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> just, just admit it. Just go with it. It's good. Oh gosh. Okay, <laughs> Sarah. So, uh, what what did you say you were Chelsea again? I was. Sorry. Oh, I was totally ducky. Totally ducky. So we've got our we've got our own. All we need is a petri and a spike. We need someone in on the podcast who just doesn't talk. <laughs> <laughs> How would you like to be our spike? Call now. Rotoscopers.com <laughs> slash I want to be spike. <laughs> yeah, totally. Dear brave Sarah. <laughs> who's going to be our Petri and who's going to be our spike? What was the whole deal with Spike? Was Spike raised by duckies or was he raised by flyers? It was ducky because later on he's like, this is our new brother, Spike. And they're like, yay. And he's like, yeah, yeah. I'm so happy. But I'm like, why? Come on, you have to tell me his family made it. All yeah. the other dinosaurs are there. He's the just too stegosaurs... lazy to go look for him. He's like, eh, this is good enough. All the stega, all the stegosaurs got flipped on their backs and they they never got back up. <laughs> <laughs> well, sharp tooth came Help me, or... help me. <laughs> yeah, so um, he's got a good little fellowship going. You know, I I they have some they have some victories, but mostly defeats. I I always get so frustrated with the false Great Valley. <laughs> we found it. It's the great. We found it's the Great Valley. Yeah, we made it. The journey's over. I was like, wow, it's been thirty minutes. They already made it. You know, as a kid, I was like, hold on, that's not a lot of food to sustain them. And stupid, greedy long necks come up. <laughs> hey, did anyone check to see if that was Littlefoot's grandparents? No, they were different though. Like, oh, this is different? something that I I always looked at. I was like, why are there long? Like, why isn't Littlefoot going after these? Obviously, this is the one. This is the movie that I watched way too much as a child. But if you look at it, they are actually different types of long necks like their mouths are different they're like pointy oh, oh okay okay so i guess they didn't want to confuse them with like littlefoot has like a run-in with like the savagely starved uh <laughs> grandparents who will eat anything that moves at this point no that's his cousin jeff circle of life oh cousin jeff oh my gosh what a jerk <laughs> he's yeah. always a jerk yeah totally and there's a lot of conflict 
Like I do like the power struggle between uh, Littlefoot and uh, and Sarah. Like the two leader types. It kind of reminds me of Winnie the Pooh. You know how all the characters kind of represent. Like they kind of have their own little nuances. You know, Piglet's very paranoid. Tigger is is hyper. Rabbit is very OCD. And Kanga, you know, the father's really not around, so we don't know what happened there. <laughs> and um, so it. I, I like these personality traits that they kind of fuse into these characters, you know, the insecurity and the fear, you know, how do they deal with their problems? You know, do they deal with their problems? It'd be interesting to do like a little character study essay or article. Well, I mean, I think guys. Sarah would definitely be like pride. If you're going to be like, what would she be? And then little. Well, foot. also, also Sarah's very practical. Yeah, I can see that. Littlefoot is very much faith driven. He's got faith in his mom. He's got faith in what, in trust in what he's been told. And, yeah. you know, Ducky, I would say, was more on the acceptance side. Petrie, no idea. Spike, he likes food. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think Petrie would be insecurity and fear. Yeah. You know, because he doesn't want to fly and he's not sure about it. And he's just kind of like timid. And Spike, he's just chill, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he just likes it. Petrie kind of overcomes his fears in this movie, but man, it really comes all comes down on him on Land Before Time Six. I tell you what. Oh no! <laughs> Stop it. Sorry, I know all these spoilers. I know all the. I I feel like my understanding is enhanced of these characters <laughs> now that I since I've read the real. synopses. <laughs> it's Morgan, like fan fiction. Can I just have my sequel? <laughs> <laughs> fan fiction oh. is not real. Okay. Should we? Con should we? Con okay. Should we? As rotoscopers, should we vote on officially? considering the land before time sequels as nothing more than fan fiction we already did this on one of our earlier episodes yes did we like, oh we've... it's already decided it's already in in the archives of the rotoscopers of these 71 episodes yes i don't remember which one but it was on our sequels discussion when we talked about like i don't count these at all ever all right i, I will i will try my best to hereby <laughs> Officially, all fan fiction. Yeah, I will try my best to consider them all fan fiction and Thank nothing you, more. <laughs> all right, okay, our, so they they have a bunch of trials that happen, and then there's the big battle. Shark tooth, not shark tooth. Dang it, sharp tooth. You know, they finally realize Sarah's right. He's back alive, and that Littlefoot comes up with a great plan to kill him. Like, oh, wow! Seriously, it, it's a lot great. Of murder he's here. Like, yeah, he's like, hey, hey, see that? It's sharp tooth. Hey, let's go kill him. You know. <laughs> It's that sharp tooth or plan a, a, a bag over his head. <laughs> oh, I'm not even gonna try. <laughs> He'll be swimming with the prehistoric fishes. Yeah, guys, let's do it. Yeah, guys, let's do it. Yeah, Johnny Type Lips. He always repeats everything I say. <laughs> yeah, I'll repeat everything you say. Yeah, totally. Okay, what? Oh, okay, for one, in this later stages, like the way they animated Sharp Tooth, like I guess to not make him as menacing, they kind of gave him a little like funk in his steps, you know. He's like, mm, mm. he kind of he kind of shakes his booty a little bit when he walks. Have you? Do you, did you reckon? Did you see that? I did not. Well, he's got a, he's kind of funky. funky Sharp bounce. tooth, you know. Now it's I time to get that. funky. <laughs> and speaking of circle of life, man, uh, Littlefoot's prepared to make it go full circle for old Sharp Tooth. Well, Sharp Tooth has cheated death multiple times already. It's time for him to go. Yeah, this is definitely his time to go. And then. I think it was good because it gave him that victory that he really needed. But then at the same time, like, it's not the victory that he wanted as far as he'd wanted. He didn't really set off to 
kill sharp tooth he wanted to get to the great valley and i like how this part where he's like even more depressed than before and so he's just he's just crying to the, the spirit of his mother basically you know, the memory of her and saying i tried i tried my hardest and i still couldn't do it and it's just at that very moment when the clouds kind of like shift and chase and they find the great valley i really liked how they did that in that moment of the, like the deepest darkest is when you know that little bit of help comes in yeah it's also it's also kind of the moment where all the characters kind of get over their little flaws you know just for a little bit yeah and and teamwork they all hold on together <laughs> yeah petri flies you know well it's it's pretty abrupt at this point it's you know, the ending the, is abrupt. It's he's kind of searching. There's the clouds. He goes through this little cave hole thing. Bam! Here we are. And yay! We made it. I can't believe we made it. And let's go all see our family. Yay! They're all here. Check, 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 check. Perfect. And we're done. If we hold, they all live happily ever together. after until the asteroids. <laughs> Cue credit scene. <laughs> yeah, totally. No our dreams. That's how she sings. Wow, yeah. you've you've got she it. Does. You've got it. You got it down, Morgan. Hey, if I you know did that, that, that song was apparently a huge hit in Japan. Yes. I would like I would like to see I would like to see the Japanese version of that song. I saw a version where she was singing it. She was performing it in Japan. Everyone was freaking out. Ooh. Yeah. Everyone was freaking out and singing along. Well, it was such a big deal that it became a standard on all karaoke tracks. So everybody knows this song. <laughs> Hey, I propose we do a karaoke version of this. Chess us rotoscopers. We each take a verse. <laughs> okay. For another time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like for right now or when? Yes, right now. <laughs> we kind of already did. Anyway, moving on. Okay. The ending, the ending is really sweet because it, it like goes back to the like, you know, he keeps hearing his mom's voice, you know, and then you get that like kind of montage flashback of him like, oh, mother, you know, and it's okay now, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you agree? Okay, let's just end this. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, so I asked everybody um, on Twitter for our Twitter listener question, which we haven't done in a while. I asked them, how important was the land before time to your childhood? Because to Chelsea and I, it was a really big deal. To other people, uh -huh. like Mason, not so much. So I wanted to see whether this was important to people. And so here are the answers. JK Ricky says, important at the time, I think, but it's hard to remember that far back. Dylan says, I remember the first one used to scare me at a few scenes, but it was a good film for my childhood. One or two watches later. Jessica, the desolate says, I remember a pivotal cognizant moment where I was a child and I was like, wow, I'm acting like Sarah. I hate her. I got to fix this. Whoa, yeah, good for you, Jessica, nice. the desolate. Yeah, good for you. Daniela says, so important. I always did impressions of Ducky with my mom. Haha. <laughs> it also prepared me for more traumatizing animated movies. Thumbs up. What's more traumatizing than this one? <laughs> Lion King. I, I, oh, yeah. oh. Fox and the Hound. Oh, gosh. We should do a traumatizing sad movie series. <laughs> I will not be joining you. <laughs> August says it was the first animated movie I saw that had dark elements and no musical numbers. I saw it in 1991 when I was three on VHS. Jessica again says, so I think that I can say this movie taught me to be less of a spoiled little whiny brat. Mahali says I used to watch it a lot. Not only because it's a great film, but also because it was the only VHS that had awesome CIC video intro. Nice. Anja says, never heard about it. Okay. <laughs> Here's one from Gemma Clark. She says, I was obsessed with these films. All of them. Ah, ha. Nothing wrong with getting into the sequels. 
Uh, here's a user, codename Sailor B. Not very important. Haha. <laughs> Uh, Dylan Mentis says, this was a regularly played VHS in my house. I feel like Littlefoot's mom's death was the Bambi's mom of that generation. There you go. Here's a tweet from Chris Cookson. He said, I saw the first one in school, managed to watch three or four more sequels on my own, stopped caring by third grade. Good man. Continues, though as a kid, after seeing that first one, I was super interested in leaves with droplets of water on <laughs> Very good. Very good. That's a, another one of Don Bluth's amazing hand-drawn effects. Here's one from Jer, J-E-R. It was very important. I remember as a kid watching it, loving the characters and their adventures. Uh, Suzanne, 2409. I remember loving the comics slash magazines, huh? But I have almost no memories of the film. I always shipped Littlefoot and Sarah. The comics and the magazines? I guess. Yeah, they had wow. a lot of merchandise. I guess we'll have to learn more about those. That didn't come up in my research. All right, here we go. Cora with a C. Uh, came out three and a half years before I was born, so no, not very. <laughs> Melissa Roy, I basically wanted my family to call me Littlefoot for the first five years of my life. <laughs> very good. Uh, Mariana DeLama says it made me cry. Thank you for being honest. Uh, Yuri Marcel, uh, not that important. I just didn't slash don't like it. And then Brayden Rosman says, I used to watch it on loop. It was scary, touching, funny, everything. Sadly, I dropped the VHS and never saw the movie again. Oh, oh no. sheesh. A fate worse than death. Yeah. Dropping the VHS. <laughs> and then it like cracks <laughs> everything inside. Wow, we got a really good response on our yeah. Twitter question. Mm-hmm. Well, I tried to mix it up. Normally I ask dumb questions, not dumb questions, but like, what's your favorite character? And I'm like, no, I'm gonna ask something different. I like and, it. Wow, it worked. Yeah, very good, very good. Good, good job, everyone involved. So let's rate it. Oh, sheesh. I haven't even thought about a rating. Yeah, um, it was hard for me to think of a rating. Let's see. I'll go first. Okay, go for it. So I'm going to rate this four and a half stars. I think this Whoa. movie, yeah, it's a very simple movie with, you know, simple characters and it's very short, but it's very streamlined and it doesn't really have a lot of fluff, which is good. It, that's what helps the movie. And also, I mean, I have a lot of nostalgia factor with this movie, but I think think the reason I like it is more than that. I think because it is a Don Bluth movie that's serious and kind of goes into these darker areas that other films at the time didn't. Um, it's a really important movie. I mean, it spawned this incredible franchise that has 12 sequels. Like there is no Disney and franchise that I show. 12 sequels and a TV show. And there is no that's Disney right. franchise that that can compete basically. So this movie w was a big deal, especially in the late 80s. And and to me, it's really important. I love it. When I was watching it this time, I was just as touched and interested and there was never a boring moment for me. So four and a half. Wow. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. I think, you know, for whatever reason, initially when when I thought of rating this, I initially thought of rating it lower, like at a three scale. But then I was like, no, why? Why would I do that to this? Yeah, I didn't even know. No. It's a higher score than that. Um, I'm going to go with four stars for me. It was just like all the things that we talked about, the animation, the story, streamline, um, just the feeling, the fact that they were able to get you so emotionally involved throughout the whole movie was just something that was, it's very hard to do. And so I give them a lot of props for that. So four stars. Oh, I guess it's my turn. Ugh. Uh, I hate to say it, but I, I'm going to do three and a half stars for The Land Before Time. I don't like the fact that it's so short. I don't know. I feel bad rating, rating a, a movie about dinosaurs like this. But I don't know. I think, uh, though, the um, it is masterful how they kind of really drove home that theme of, like, grief and sadness and stuff. 
it was kind of too much for me maybe i don't know i just I, I just feel like there's there's better animated movies although this one is really good and i i do like the soundtrack and i do uh the animation is pretty masterful um i just think that the runtime didn't like give it enough time to like really like gain steam it was kind of abrupt at the end and, and stuff like that so yeah three and a half stars which is a solid score no shame in that totally but i do love this film i mean the the art and the animation is very good it is definitely from that awesome era of 2d animation as long as i don't i, I better not rate oliver and company higher than three and a half stars now i gotta write that down Let's see. <laughs> Now we are going to go into the mailbag. We have a lot of mail, and our first one is a Land Before Time review by Joshua. Let's hear it. Hi, Rotoscopers. It's time for a Dinos and Dragons marathon, Land Before Time. I first just want to note how many things came out of this movie. Sequels, a TV show, and video games. To see the full list of LBT stuff, here's the link. And also, I remembered watching like two of them most likely them both being the direct-to-video sequels. I think even if Disney had the rights to the series, they would not have done this many sequels. So all in all, I don't think I've seen the movie that started it all, but I heard it is better than Oliver and Company, another Disney movie I've yet seen. So that's my little facts about the movie. Oh, and also on the Tarzan episode, you spoke a lot about McDonald's. Have you seen the new creepy mascot for the Happy Meals called Happy? Here's a picture. Creepy, right? See you soon, Joshua. Oh my gosh. That is oh. the creepiest thing ever. Oh, man, what the freak is that? <laughs> Why are they doing that to us? Wait, are you sure that this isn't like a fan thing that someone made? Nope. Look at the thing. It's embassynews.com out of That's 2014. so creepy. It's like, uh, what are they advertising? Like, psycho happy pills? No, it almost looks like the orange guy. Like, the crazy orange app where you can, like, talk in it. Annoying orange? Yeah. It probably uh, is inspired. Oh. Anything that's inspired by annoying orange is not inspired at all. <laughs> not at all. Thus saith Mason. <laughs> yeah, that's weird. I'm like, God, I can't unsee. <laughs> thank you, Joshua, for writing in. Yeah, sheesh. Yeah, thank you, Josh. Our next email is from Tony, a.k.a. Simba's Guard. Dear Rotoscopers, I just wanted to wish Mason a happy birthday. I also wanted to tell you how much I really enjoy your podcast, even when the discussion goes on a tangent. Said tangent is always entertaining and informative, especially if it's a tangent about the Lion King. I wanted to let you know that Clayton is indeed a boss in Kingdom Hearts. He fights alongside Heartless, known as a stealth sneak on the deep jungle stage. I'm looking forward to hearing the Lion King theories in your next podcast. I am also excited to know that you will be reviewing Ice Age in your Dinos and Dragons series. I am somewhat surprised that you didn't do an Ice Age series as all of the Ice Age sequels, including Ice Age 5, will be coming in 2016. All are theatrical movies. Keep up the great work. Sincerely, Tony, Simba's Guard. Ah, uh, Simba's Guard. Yeah, Clayton is apparently a boss in Kingdom Hearts because there's like a Tarzan level in one of the Kingdom Hearts games. I should play ah, it. Now we pick know. Up yeah, now we know. I should pick up Kingdom Hearts and play it sometimes. Have you People ever can... played it? I've uh, I've watched past friends and girlfriends play it at their house, and I got bored. I, I think because <laughs> like, I, I do. I, I like feel like concept. we should all know this. We talk about it enough that we should all be like at least have played it. I have never even seen it though. I like yeah. the concept, but I I'm a little weirded out by the fact that they had to mix all these Square Enix characters. Like, why did they have to bring in Final Fantasy? Why can't they just uh? 
Like, why couldn't they add Studio Ghibli as their, like, you know, oh, that been cool. J-pop influence, you know, to oh. lure in that part of their audience. But um, I don't know. I'll have to I'll have to do some reading on it. No face some research. is coming after us. <laughs> so do you guys <laughs> no face eh. do you guys think <laughs> that uh land before time is the ice age and vice versa do you think the ice age is the new land before time uh maybe i do love ice age one one of my favorites i i stopped watching ice age after the second one yeah well there's a there's another email that talks about ice age so hold your thoughts okay okay good all right our next one is from abby Hello, I'm a new fan of yours. I just wanted to tell you how much I love your show and your website. I wanted to suggest Chicken Run First of all, for you to talk about question, on your show. I find sponge, it very interesting. What also, I, what, what are I, your thoughts on the show SpongeBob SquarePants? I appreciate you also checking out my blog, filmphilosopher.blogspot.com. I'm planning on being a writer slash critic in the future. Thank you so much for making me laugh and teaching me so much about one of my favorite things in the entire world, animation. Abby. Okay, first of all, to answer your question, what my thought is on SpongeBob SquarePants, I, I just have to say... Do you think Mr. Krabs ever does karate? <laughs> I love SpongeBob. I have seasons one and two on DVD, and I can quote pretty much all of the, the classic episodes, like pre-movie episodes. And I could do an entire podcast episode on what I think of SpongeBob, but here it is in a nutshell. I love pre-movie SpongeBob. All the seasons after the movie, with the exception of maybe one or two episodes, I just can't stand. I can't do it. They went in a new art direction. They went in a new writing direction, and... They changed all the characters and and uh, I, I just can't I just can't watch it anymore. But I will always go back to those first few um, seasons because those are just amazing. I think SpongeBob SquarePants, the, those seasons, those first seasons is, is one of the greatest animated shows of all time. And I don't care what anyone thinks about it because it's amazing. Well, OK, then our next email is from Lauren. Hello, my name is Lauren West and I'm writing from Melbourne, Australia. I firstly would like to say that I love your podcasts. I listen to them while I'm drawing and illustrating for inspiration. You guys are so funny and passionate about animation. I have just graduated from RMIT here in Melbourne with a degree in animation and illustration, and I've begun drawing since the day I came out of the womb. I am a total animation nerd. Everything about it gives me shivers up my spine, and I spend most of my free time watching animated DVDs with audio commentary. I spent a year working over at Disney World, which was a huge thing for me to move to the US and work for a company that I look up to and admire so much. I am working on writing and animating my own cartoon series. However, I would love to be able to contribute to your site. Do you guys have any applications to become writers for the Rotoscopers? I have so much passion and knowledge for animation. I would love to be able to help share it with people. Thanks, keep up the good work, Lauren. Okay, so this is actually a good question. We are in the process. We're going to be revamping the website in the next few months. And so one part of that is we're going to be expanding our writing team. So be on the lookout on the website on rotoscopers.com slash write for us. That's where we're going to be posting the applications for what's available. I know a lot of people have asked and we're really excited to bring more people on. We just have to tie a few loose ends on our side before we put the application out. But I will have something there, a placeholder. So you can know, you just check rotoscopers.com slash write for us. And that's where the posting will be. Our next one is from Adam from Ireland. Hello, Rotoscopers. Question for yes. This is Irish slang. What is your favorite subtle moment slash moments in an animated film that you only noticed after rewatching a film a few times? For reference of what I mean, I'll give you one from the film Rapunzel. The song Mother Knows Best, when during the line, to keep you safe and sound, yes. She sings that part to the hair, not to Rapunzel. Now, I know it might not be the most subtle moment, but I've just noticed it after rewatching the film a few times. Would I would love to hear what you guys have to say. Also, looking forward to the t-shirt design contest. Adam from Ireland. Okay, That's weird. 
is the film called Rapunzel in Ireland? Yeah, I think in Europe it's called Rapunzel. Weird. <laughs> Lucky. It's kind of a philosopher's stone kind of thing. Exactly. <laughs> Honestly, I think every time I rewatch a movie, I find little subtle moments. For every movie, I get something out of it almost. I just remember what Mason was talking about, how last time we were watching Tarzan and the subtle moment of the of Sabor being in the background the whole time yeah, that's true. in that scene, which is pretty cool. I mean, I think that's kind of the skill of the studio and the director. They add those extra layers of subtle moments that you don't notice on first viewing, but second and third, like you start picking up on them and it's it just adds to the complexity of the film. Okay, our next one is from Rob. Hi, Rotoscopers. Your podcasts have been so fun to listen to. They are great ways to pass the time while I'm working. I find that hearing people having an interesting discussion instead of constantly listening to music makes the day go by faster. I am always looking forward to a new podcast. I was wondering, as Disney fans, if you guys noticed how many similarities the Disney princesses have with each other. Just a few interesting things I noticed was all of the Disney princesses twirl around, and most of the time, they get bad news or something bad happens, and they twirl around. They all cry at some point in their films, and they all have been in a life-or-death situation. Another thing I wanted to point out, especially during the early Renaissance, was how similar Ariel, Belle, and Jasmine were animated. Some of their scenes are so similar, they could pass as sisters. I'm glad Disney made them all different hair colors and personalities. Thanks again for reading my email. I can't wait for the next episode. Regards, Rob. P.S. Would you guys be interested in reviewing DC Comics animated movies that Warner Brothers has been producing? Hi, Rob. All right. Similarities in Disney princesses. Hmm. You make some really good points, and uh, also I think it's worth bringing up there's there's not really a fan outrage but the, some fans of big hero six have have uh, made the comment that um honey lemon is that her name yeah honey lemon they've made the comment that honey lemon looks so much like anna and uh and rapunzel as far as like design yeah I, I think the point is debatable but i i do notice similarities there with um with that one i mean wreck it ralph seems to be the the one disney animated film from re, uh, re from recent years where they went in a different direction with their female characters so i do see some similarities there but i do understand your points about like classic disney princesses with the twirling and, and the singing the drama the flair <laughs> okay our next one is from dan dear rotoscopers I've got quite a story to tell. When I celebrated my birthday on Thursday, I was told by my family to wait downstairs because they had a special something to show me. I waited until I was called up. I came up and lo and behold, I just found out that we opened a studio entitled Santo Studios, starting with a merchandising line of logo t-shirts. You see, my dad had started his own studio when he was about my age, working on paintings and sculptures, but then shut it down so he could work on raising a family and working on jobs, both business and religious affairs. But then when I worked on my Christmas paintings, my family, including my grandfather, urged me to open up a new studio for cards and maybe to make movies. So my dad told me that I brought the Santo Studios image back. So my family and I are setting plans for a new project as well as a Facebook page for people to see and perhaps buy. So anyway, I wanted to share this with you because I thought you guys might think this is quite an accomplishment. So join me in a toast to Santo Studios. Talk to you later, Dan Siciliano. Hey, Dan Siciliano. I remember when he he's given us a couple voicemails. So thank you for doing voicemails as well because now I feel like I can hear your voice as I listen to your email. Um, that is so awesome. We're so happy for you that you're able to just go out and start something new. Congratulations. Here's a toast to Santo Studios. Yay. Woo, yay. <laughs> don't, don't drink the drink. It's poison. Ugh. Whenever I think of toast, I think of Emperor's New Groove. <laughs> <laughs> 
So our next email is from Brooks. Hi, Rotoscopers. My username on the animatedviews.com forums is Scar, and I have recently become a big fan of your site and your podcast. I love animation and have been a big fan of it since I was a kid and continue to be a big fan as an adult. One movie I'd love to see you review is one of my favorites, James and the Giant Peach. This movie is not strictly animation, as it does have live-action segments at the beginning and the ending, but the majority of the film is told through stop-motion animation. I think it has some of the most creative cast of characters and story that I've seen, and it's just a very heartwarming film that I enjoy a lot. I'd love to hear your views on it in a future episode, as I think this movie deserves more attention than it gets. Brooks Austin. Ah, James and the Giant Peach. This is a good movie. James and the Giant Peach. We need to review this one, but I don't have it on the radar currently. But maybe next year. Maybe we'll do a giant produce uh, <laughs> series of uh, Rotoscopers episodes. No, I already have an idea for our next series. One of our listeners, Eric Faulkner, he actually mentioned that our themes, you know, the horse series, the dog series, the dragon series actually falls in line with the Chinese Zodiac. So he's like, what are you going to do next? Cow. He's like, what are you going to do next? The rat series? And I was like, stroking my beard. I'm like, that yes, is, actually, <laughs> you have because beard. that way we can do the great mouse detective. We can do Ratatouille. We can do uh, Secret of Nim. These Secret are all like things that we can't people have been wanting to do. So I, I'm already saying it. I know it's six episodes out, but we're doing a rat series next. Oh, brilliant. <laughs> so we'll get to James and the Giant Peach. I promise. I like this year. Of I'll series. have you all know that I, yeah, yeah. I'll have y'all know that I played the centipede in my high school adaptation of James and the Giant Peach. Ooh. It was great. I got to be as obnoxious as I wanted, and everybody <laughs> loved me for it. Okay, last one from Andrew. <laughs> Hello, Rotoscopers. I recently found your podcast, and I'm loving it. I started an animation journey similar to yours about two years ago, watching through all the Disney animated films chronologically with some other tangential sources week by week and discussing them with a friend. I email in to ask if you found similar conundrum I ran into ratings. Do you factor how much you would want to rewatch the film when you rate it? I found with some movies, I love the first viewing or I'm incredibly bored and find a lot of problems during the second viewing. I've also found that dissecting some films I enjoyed before caused me to discover some major errors, at least from my approximation, with the story or characters that left me a bit more cold on these films, chief and recent among these being Coraline. I could go even further, but I don't want to take up too much of your time. So keep doing what you're doing, and thank you for the response. Andrew. You know, Andrew, that's a really good question. Like, I study film because I study animation, and I found that it's it's a challenge for me to, sus to like, suspend my disbelief these days because I learn about how directors and cinematographers, like, cheat reality with uh, continuity, um, with cameras, uh, you know, with... Uh, with stuff like that, different, you know, filmmaking techniques. CG lighting was a hard one for me to swallow. It kind of ruined a lot of movies for me. But I guess what I have, what I do these days is that I, I do mention, th I do notice things that are wrong in movies when I rewatch re them. But since I'm a little further on in my animation career, I, it, it really takes an effort for me to suspend like my concept of reality and just drink the flavor aid, you know, just, just watch the movie and get immersed in the magic of the filmmaking. And so, yes, I do notice mistakes, but I, I try to ignore them like on purpose. And that helps me, I guess, kind of preserve the magic as it were. That's something I, I struggle with actually from the past year. And, and, um, cause there, there, there are film snobs out there, you know, who like to point out all the things that are wrong. You know, they, they like to be the critic and I, I never like to be the critic. I like to be the fan and the, and the reviewer. And so I, I kind of put on that air when I watch a new movie and, and I try to be real positive about it. Yeah. One of my 
one of my really big fears is that I'm going to become jaded. And so I really try not to. And I just kind of let things go and then kind of, and then really just try to hold on to my initial feelings. Because really when you leave the film initially, that's what you feel. Huh. Very cool. All right. Thanks for writing in the emails. We love them. We're, we're busting through our big collection of emails. Keep sending them in at contact at rotoscopers.com. Okay, so thank you to my amazing co-hosts who joined me for this wonderful nostalgic episode, taking us back way back in time to a land before time. It was wonderful. Mm. Nice play on words. I thank like you. <laughs> I know. Didn't even write that down. It was just straight Ooh. out of my head. I'm that good. Pure gold. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was a fun one. I, I loved watching this movie. Yeah. I really haven't seen this movie in probably about 15 years, so the fact that I got to watch it again and it just meant just as much as it did you know, years ago. Yeah. Okay. Social media, everyone. When tweeting about uh, the Rotoscopers a, uh, like a episode trailer, uh, by default, you should be using the hashtag and him at it. Is fairly, very if you've made it this far in the episode, that means you have reached the end and you get to use the special hashtag for the episode. And that hashtag is Donna Bluth Dazzle. For the show notes, make sure to head on over to www.rotoscopers.com slash 71. We can also find us on Hypable and AnimatedReviews.com. Make sure to subscribe to us on iTunes. Also, we're available on Stitcher Radio and where all awesome podcasts are found. If you love the show, please leave feedback on reviews for iTunes because we really appreciate that. It definitely helps us out and yeah, we actually go in and read those too. So thank you. There's been a lot of people that have been very kind and have written some awesome, really nice things. So thank you so much. Also, you can email contact at rotoscopers.com and voicemail. You can go to rotoscopers.com slash voicemails. That's with an S because we're having problems with the other link. Uh, and you can also uh, call us at 406 646 6575. Make sure to check out our sponsors once again. That's rotoscopers.com slash Amazon. You can help us out with that. And our next episode, head on over to the website to see it. We're still continuing on in our Dinos and Dragons series, and we're going to be talking about Dinosaur. Really? I I have no idea. That was the second most requested Dino and Dragon episode, and I'm really confused. Really? I don't don't think it's that good of a movie, but wait until next episode for my real thoughts. Did you you put Walt Disney Pictures Dinosaur? On what? Are there other dinosaur movies? No, there aren't. There aren't. Everyone knows. Dinosaur? Yeah. I guess everybody, I guess every Disney fan knows what dinosaur is, and we have a a ton of great Disney fans who listen to the podcast. Okay, well, hey, if the fans want it, they got it. And of course, you can find us on our individual locations. Basically, we're all on Twitter. I'm at Morgan Stradling, Chelsea's at Chelsea Robson, and Mason is at Mason SMTX. So complicated. There's already a Mason Smith. Like I said, he's like some country western singer in Nashville. Actually, Chelsea, you should get on that. Convince I sh- I him to get on that. Convince <laughs> him to change his Twitter handle. <laughs> 
Also, uh, I have been I have updated and been updating my blog thisanimatedlife.blogspot.com so you can check it out. It's mostly stuff that I've been doing over the summer for my new animation studio that I just finished with. So if you want to see what I've been up to, uh, then you can head on over to my blog thisanimatedlife.blogspot.com. So guys, until next time, we are the Rotoscopers. Everybody do the dinosaur. Open the door. Get on the floor. Anyway. I remember that. Holy. Hey, hey, you know, you know. I'll do a, a gif or a gif of that maybe. Perfect. No, no, no. This was a horrible, horrible thing that my brothers did to me. They called my sister mm. Littlefoot and they called me Bigfoot and I hated it every time. <laughs> what? Anyway, I just had one of those moments just now. Hairy will... feet, huh? Sorry. <laughs> Not hairy. No. Big, yeah, whatever. Moving on. <laughs> He saw the part where Sharptooth um, falls into the crevice. Oh, by the way, spoiler alert, everyone. Um, <laughs> Obviously. Yeah, again, good hour and 30 minutes into the recording. <laughs> yeah, spoilers, spoilers ahead, people. Yeah.